can be seated. Good morning. That was rather quiet. You're, you're allowed to speak. Good morning. Yeah, there we go. It's great to see everyone here this morning. We are in a study of Matthew chapter 5 through 7, um, what is often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, have been there for the last number of weeks, and um, just uh, love uh, what the Lord has been teaching me, and I pray uh, it has blessed and encouraged uh, you all as well as we have walked through uh, this teaching series. One of my hopes for this series is that we would see how these statements of Christ, what Jesus has said to us, and what we refer to so far as the Beatitudes, these early statements of the Sermon on the Mount, that we would see them in the context with which they are spoken, that we would see them in the whole. You know, standing alone, if we just take one of these by themselves, we will at least in some ways miss a little bit of the meaning, what God intended to say um, as he spoke these words. And that's why, for example, just as you, know, you have heard, as Matt referenced uh, and, and uh, Jessica led us, we once again read through the entirety of verses 1 through 12, all of these Beatitudes, so that we can just immerse ourselves in those things and we can see them and hear them read to us over and over again in their right context, in the context of the whole. And I would hope as well that you are um, maybe even growing in memorization as you hear this repeated to you week after week after week, that you're heart is being filled with these statements so much that they are becoming uh, second nature to you. You know, we can't really understand what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness if we don't understand first what it means to be meek. And if we don't have meekness or humility, we can't manufacture that. We know that's not something that we can create, but it's something that's built on having received something, the comfort of Christ. And as we rightly mourn our sin, we see and receive from Jesus And we are comforted by him. And so if you've missed any of these sermons, that's one way to introduce this, but also to just encourage you to go backwards. If you've missed this, don't take just one of these statements alone, but go back and listen to these. You can catch up on our podcasts or on our website um, and you can hear these messages so you can catch back up to where we are this morning with the fifth statement, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. You know, getting to this statement, this blessed are the merciful, when I read that, my first question, my first response, sort of just initial studying this is, am I merciful? I ask myself the question, is that something that describes me? And as we've said, these are statements that are descriptions of the Christian. They describe someone who follows Christ. And if these statements are not true of us, then we ought to humble ourselves before God and ask for his mercy and his help. And perhaps the probing of these statements, the questions and the things that they reveal to us are revealing something in you. Perhaps as you study this, as we've opened these up, they've led you to become poor in spirit, to realize the poverty of your spiritual life. Or to realize your poverty in spiritual terms. And Jesus would say to you, come to me and I will give you rest. Come to me and I will welcome you as a citizen of the kingdom. But back to this statement of, am I merciful? As I, again, process this and just kind of ask myself the question, I really don't feel like I've had too many opportunities to be merciful. I'm not a judge 
That's not my vocation. I have not ever held someone's life in my hands and been able to do something with it, whatever I might have wanted to do. This is what comes to mind when I think of mercy. I think of movie scenes and those times where the the character has his foot on the throat of the other and releases and shows mercy. And I think that's not, I don't know that I've ever had an opportunity to do that. And the way I think of these things honestly reveals something about what I hear in Jesus' heart. And I think this is even instructive to what Jesus is trying to teach us through these words. See, all too often, as Christians, we confuse the doing of Christian things with being Christian. We put too much emphasis on the doing. We focus so much on doing things prior to addressing being something. And what Jesus is getting at in the Sermon on the Mount and with these Beatitudes, he's teaching us about character. He's teaching us what it means to be Christian. Not to do Christian things, but to be a Christian. We said a few weeks ago that the solution to the world's problems in so many ways, was that there would be more Christians. If the world was filled with more Christians, then so many of the problems that we experience would be different, would go away. That's because Christians are something. And because of who they are, then they do certain things in the world. They act in certain ways. It might help you to process it in this way. Dallas Cowboys... And Aggies, by the way, we're somewhat similar in this nature, are eternal optimists, the fans of these teams. We begin each season believing, full of hope, that this is the year of a championship. Now, if you're like me, I grew up right after Roger Staubach ended. Is that my, when I kind of grew up to life and understood and could kind of process football which meant I grew up in a great series of droughts, decade upon decade. So when my kids complain to me, I tell them, but just have hope. Three more are coming. Believe. See, I'm a Cowboys fan, and I will tell you that I believe this is the year because I am a fan. That is what we do. Because of who I am, because of what I believe, there's an action, a result that comes with this, this optimism, this belief. And we need to remember that being a Christian always precedes, precedes doing Christian things. Parents, by the way, this is a very fine line to balance as I encourage you to lead your children. Be careful that you don't place so much emphasis on doing Christian things and miss leading your children to be Christians, to disciple them, to understand what it means to follow Christ. If we put the other in front, they're going to be disappointed. They will be frustrated because they will strive to continue to achieve and to do the Christian thing without ever having a heart that has been transformed to actually be Christian. Doing follows being. And Jesus is telling us that this is the character of a Christian. So don't hear this message or any of these messages as a to-do list or something to add to your life. Hear this message and let us ask the question, is this who I am? Do these things describe me? Because once you are a Christian, you will do Christian things. One of my favorite preachers, Dr. Lloyd-Jones, said it this way. We are not meant to control our Christianity. Our Christianity rather is meant to control us. 
That is the order of things. Or as the Apostle Paul, it is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. These two statements, they, they say the same things. If we are Christian Christians, Christ lives in us, and he lives in us in such a way that our lives will reflect that reality. This is why we talk so often. If you're not a believer this morning, if you would not describe yourself as a Christian, I want you to know how welcome you are here, how loved you are. We receive you as Christ would receive you. And the reason we use language that talks about being born again is because we know that in ourselves, in our natural state, we aren't these things. But when Christ gives us faith to believe and he creates in us a new life, a new creation then everything about our lives changes. And this totally new life where the old self has passed away rises up. And so these beatitudes, they search, I hope, our souls because they lead us to consider who we are in the course of our daily and ordinary lives. Do we see the things of Christ in ourselves? So am I merciful? If I'm a Christian, I am. That's what Jesus says. Now sometimes, merciful or mercy can be mistaken, similar as we talked about a couple weeks ago, with meekness. That meekness or mercy can kind of be looked upon as a weakness, as being a pushover or just super chill. He's just really relaxed. This is not what the Lord had in mind when he said these words. Being chill or laid back or easygoing, those are all personality. Those are things that just are created in us. He's not, he's not describing just all of us. He would be describing a personality type. But what Jesus is describing when he talks about meekness or here when he talks about mercy and being merciful, he's describing all of us, including folks like me who do not naturally have that bent in their personality. Pastor Matt, my brother Kurt, could be described as chill naturally. They are very relaxed people. This isn't a list of traits of things that just come naturally to people. This is a list, a description of men and women who have been born again, created anew by Christ himself. So don't look at it as just this personality trait and say, well, I'm just not as merciful as others. Because all Christians are merciful is what Jesus would say. Another thing to consider as we look at this word mercy is to try to understand what is mercy. Mercy and grace are often sort of tied together and sometimes misunderstood together. And it's sometimes even hard to really distinguish the two. We talk about God's mercy and his grace, his mercy and his grace, and We don't even know which exactly we're talking about when we describe those two things. So let's see if we can unpack that and help to understand these things a little bit better. Grace and mercy, they are similar in the fact that they are both a response to sin. Grace is a response to sin as a whole. Where there should be a consequence for sin, grace is given. It's not deserved. The consequence is what is deserved. For the wages of sin is death, our death. It's not deserved, but it's what is given. Grace is given in place for the Christian to death. Mercy, however, is more narrow. Mercy is a response to the consequence of sin. In the pain and suffering of sin, mercy is given and relief from the consequence is obtained. So mercy 
sees the suffering that's resultant from sin and is empathetic, sees it and is heartbroken over it. And there's a desire to relieve that suffering. To be merciful is to be concerned with the suffering of others. To have pity upon the suffering of others. And to have a desire to do something to end that suffering. Think of it this way. Someone sins against you. And you have the power and the right to deal with them for whatever they have done. Whatever their transgression might have been. You have the power, the authority, and the right to do something about it. Do you take joy in the opportunity to hold them accountable? To rightly put them in their place? Or do you have pity upon them? Does your heart have compassion towards them, leading you to show mercy? As a parent, I've been in both places. I've taken joy in punishing my child because it's just gone that far. And I've also had pity and felt compassion. I've been in both places. The parenting teaches us a lot in that way. The parable of the Good Samaritan, by the way, is not a parable about grace. It's a parable about mercy. The Samaritan man had pity. If you read the story, go back. He had pity on the man who was laying and he walked across the street because he had compassion upon him. And he did something and he had the power and the capacity to do something to end his suffering. And so he took action. And when he took action, he did not, he wasn't chill, he wasn't laid back, he took action. He took very aggressive and bold action, action that went counter to everything that the culture would say to do to show mercy to the man who was laying on the street. And of course, an even better example than the Good Samaritan is God himself. God looked upon all of creation He saw the sinfulness of man. He saw the consequences of that sinfulness. In his justice, death reigned over all of creation. And in his mercy, God came to dwell with us. He laid down his life so that the consequence of sin no longer had a hold on us. God looked upon us with pity, with compassion. And out of his mercy, he took action. So... This is what it means when Jesus is describing mercy. This is the first beatitude, by the way, you might have noticed, where the promise is same as the trade. In all the previous one, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's a truth or a, a character that is revealed. Blessed are the, those who mourn, and they, then there's a promise that follows that they shall be comforted. But here we have the same word. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And they're... The promise is the same. And often, this is thought of in the same way we think about other statements of Jesus. We think that if we show mercy, then we will receive mercy. Or as we recite in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And we can begin to think that if I forgive, if I show mercy, then God will forgive me and God will show me mercy. If I do something, then God will respond with this and in this way. Now, I want you to consider for a moment what it would mean if that were actually true. If God's mercy towards us was contingent upon our mercy towards other people. I hope you are feeling the weight of that. That would be very, very bad news. Because if I only am forgiven when, or if God only forgives me when I forgive others, then I'm never going to be forgiven by God. 
Because I know that I've got some grudges to deal with. There's forgiveness that is being withheld right now. If I show mercy, then God will show me mercy. Then no one is receiving mercy. Because we don't do that naturally. If this is what Jesus meant when he said that this statement, that if we do this, then he will respond, then we are all in very big trouble. Because we know how often we don't forgive. We know how often we withhold mercy. And if that is what Jesus was saying, then the doctrine of grace, by the way, is out the window. Because we would not say that we are forgiven by God's grace. We would say, I am forgiven by God because I forgave someone else. I am shown mercy by God because I showed mercy to other people. It would not be the grace of God. We would say we did the right thing which led to God doing the right thing. Who is sovereign again in that situation? Not God. That is not at all what Jesus is saying. Back to the very beginning. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who rightly see themselves. Blessed are those who mourn, who mourn their sinfulness because they will be comforted. We know when we rightly see ourselves, our need for Jesus to move, for God to intervene. We need grace. And so Jesus is clearly not saying here that the mercy we receive from him will be contingent upon the mercy we offer. By the way, this is just in general, again, a problem or the problem with the law or of moralistic legalism. We can't ever do enough. And we know we can't do enough. And so this is why the gospel becomes such sweet and good news. That it's all about God initiating grace and God initiating mercy coming To dwell with us, to lay down his life because of his pity, because of his compassion. That's the good news of the gospel. And Jesus is not when he says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy, taking away that good news or detracting from it. So what does he mean? Mercy is pity or compassion on the person who has transgressed. See, when we sin, we have two options. Either we stay in our sin and see there's nothing wrong with it, believe that we can get away with it, believe that it's not that big of a deal, believing that everything's going to be just fine. There are plenty of people operating in the world that sin and just sort of live their lives, do whatever they want to do, however they want to do it, and believe that there is no consequences, believe that let's eat, drink, and party for tomorrow we will die, and that'll be the end. That's the way of many people's lives. Or... We see our sin. Blessed are those who mourn. And we are repentant. And when we are repentant, we know that we deserve nothing but suffering and pain that should come with that sin. But it's not what we receive. When we are repentant, we rightly understand the depth of our sin. See, when a man is rightfully convicted of a crime... In a court system, he receives punishment from the judge. And he realizes that the suffering and the pain that he will endure is, in a sense, a correct and right response because he committed the crime. He understands it. He confesses. He's repentant. 
And then when the judge comes to him and says, I offer relief from your suffering, there's nothing that the man did to earn that. It's wholly due upon the judge's mercy that the suffering has ended. Where did the response or where did that start? It started, the mercy was a result of the repentant heart. A heart that confesses, a heart that mourns sin. See, when we are truly repentant, we know that we are suffering and in pain because of our sins. No longer do we see our sins and begin to just blame others and say, no, I didn't really do that. How often, again, just think of our children where as soon as I show up in the room, it was him. And I know that it was not him. I know that it was you because I'm smarter than you and I did the same thing when I was your age. See, that person is not receiving mercy. That child is going to receive judgment. And then perhaps when repentance shows up, I'm sorry, Daddy. I lied. I didn't do the right thing. Mercy arrives. Mercy doesn't come without repentance. And when we are truly repentant and realize that what we are experiencing, the suffering or the pain from the sin that led to that, is a result of who we are, what we have done, we receive God's grace covering that sin, and we receive his mercy, relief from the consequences. When we are truly repentant, we know the mercy that we have received. We understand it. And we understand the suffering that we've been spared from. We understand and we get the compassion that Christ has shown us in that moment. And in turn, when we understand rightly all of the compassion and the love that Jesus has shown us in his mercy, we then show that to others. If I am, I told you it's not in my personality type. This isn't something that comes natural to me. But as a new creation, one in Christ, when I am merciful, it's because I have been shown mercy. I understand the depth of the mercy that Christ has shown me. And so as a result, I show mercy to others. So let's think through this once again. Just walking through these beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who understand the poverty of their spiritual condition. And as a result of their poverty, they cry out to God and they mourn their sin. They grieve. We grieve our sin. And when we understand our own sinfulness, we understand how quickly we are to walk away from Christ as we sang prone to wander, as Matt referenced prone to wander away. Meekness and humility before God comes. And in our humility before God, we hunger and thirst for righteousness. We want a righteousness that can't come from within. We desire to have a righteousness that can only come from God. That's a righteousness that will only satisfy. And when we have that, we receive it as a gift of his grace. And now, because we rightly see all of those things about ourselves, when we look upon the world and we see the sinfulness of the world and we see the sinfulness that even comes against us and hurts us and does us harm, we no longer are looking to go on the attack against it, but we receive it and we see it and we react with mercy because we understand the mercy that we have received. We look upon the world and we have compassion. And so I no longer look around and see others in their sinfulness and hate them for it. I have pity because they're just like me. They're no different. They might not see it, but they are slaves to sin. 
in bondage to the world just as I once was. Is Ephesians, do you believe and know that it's also about you? We who were trespassing against God, walking in that? I have pity rather than laughing as they march their way to hell. I have compassion upon them. Because I know what Christ has done for me and I, don't, I want those friends, those neighbors, those people that I look at in the world, I want them to receive the same mercy that I have received. You know, Jesus, the Bible says he's the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the best example for us. Think about his life on the cross. Jesus is on the cross, was nailed there by real men. Real men who knew nothing about him, but were just following orders. Real men who hated him because he claimed to be God. And he looks upon the very people who put him on the cross. And what does he say to them all? What does he say to God the Father? Forgive them, for they know not what they do. He has compassion. He has pity. He acknowledges that they're doing what sinful, broken people who are in bondage to Satan do. They sin. And he has mercy upon them because he understands the suffering of their souls. He shows mercy to the very people who put him on the cross. Is this how we view our world? Does this describe our interactions with those people who are, don't yet see the grace of God? Don't understand the mercy that awaits them? But you might ask, why did Jesus say then, blessed are the merciful? Well, because when the first four of these beatitudes, poor in spirit, those who mourn the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness... When those first four things are true about us and we understand the mercy that we have received, we won't be able to withhold mercy from others. I said, I am merciful because I'm a Christian. We will be merciful because we know the mercy that we've already received. If I'm not merciful, then I don't understand the mercy of God. And if I don't understand the mercy of God, then perhaps I don't understand what it means to be poor in spirit. What it means to mourn my sins. To be placed in a situation of humility and meekness before God. And to desire his righteousness above all. So the reason that Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, is because once again he's describing people who have put their hope in Christ. In the poverty of their spirit. They have turned to him and have been welcomed as citizens of the kingdom. And so we are a people who are merciful. And Jesus promises us that even in the midst of trial and suffering and pain, where it might be tempting for us to forget the mercy that we have received and the ultimate mercy that we will receive one day, to hold on to this promise. You've received mercy. As a Christian, you are merciful to others. You look upon the sins of the world and you have compassion and pity. And in response, you show mercy. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we desire 
to reflect the character of who you have created us to be as new creations. And we ask, I ask, Lord Jesus, would you help us to just understand, to remember the mercy that you have shown us. It was my sin that nailed him there, we sing. It was my sins, Lord Jesus, that you laid down your life on the cross for, that you showed mercy to relieve me of the suffering that I would endure. You have shown me great mercy. So I pray that you would give me eyes to see the world as you saw me. Not eyes to see a world and to revel in their pain, in their brokenness, to enjoy as they face the consequences of their sins, but to have compassion, to have pity, to realize the mercy that I have received and to show mercy and to be eager to be like that good Samaritan, to go and to do all that we can to relieve the suffering that we see in this world. Help us to remember, to understand what it means to have received your mercy, Jesus. We need your help, Holy Spirit. So I pray that we would be a church that is known for the mercy that we show to the world. Because we know the depth of the mercy we have received. We pray these things in Jesus' name. As we close this morning, I want to um, take just a moment and uh, make you aware and encourage you to be a part of something that we are having this evening. It's called Re-Engage. And I think Lane Garrett, one of our marriage mentors, is going to come and share. Uh, her and David are going to talk a little bit about Re-Engage. Um, it's a ministry that Laurel and I have been a part of, and we are so thankful for uh, Re-Engage. And tonight they're having an open group, which just means you can come and kind of meet them and check it all out. And so um, I'm going to... I don't know where there's a mic, but somebody's going to hand me a mic. Be patient with us on the cameras. And uh, David and Lane are going to share a little bit about Re-Engage. And um, just, again, I just want to exhort you here from David and Lane and just encourage you to be a part of, uh, of this, uh, this time this evening.
David and Lane. So thankful for those guys. And, um, you know, what I'd say is uh, what you just witnessed in the humility and um, the love and the passion that David and Lane express uh, for marriage um, is sincere. And um, their hearts for you are are great. And so I just want to encourage you to be a part of that. And uh, again, tonight is just, you just get to come once and kind of just check it out, you know, see how re-engage flows kind of the way that, um, they, uh, lead that ministry, um, and have a great time of fellowship with others. And, um, and then you can jump in, uh, in January into more consistent weekly groups, but, um, it's a, a fantastic ministry. Um, and I know David well, he's a great friend and brother and that humility, the heart that he shows you, that's the work of Christ in his life. And he doesn't care that I say that. It's a powerful testimony, just his life. And so a lot of that is a result of what he has seen God do in his marriage. And so I just want to encourage you with all my heart to be a part of that and to um, be there tonight, 630 this evening. um, And uh, you'll get to be right here, gather together with other uh, couples at 630 and um, come to open group. So with that, uh, the last thing I'll say is that this afternoon we are having our first pizza luncheon here at our new building, our uh, building. We have a wood fire pizza oven. And so if you didn't know that we were offering lunch after service uh, today, um, then it's because you didn't get emails or get a text message or those kinds of things. And so we want to make sure that you're connecting with us. And so um, be sure and text us. You can text visit CCM. That's what you type. Uh, and then it's, you send it to 97000, and uh, send that message. And that way you'll get added into our communication and be able to uh, get notice of those things, those fun things that we'll be doing. So love you guys. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you back here this evening for Reengage at 630. If not, we'll see you on Sunday. God bless. Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 830 and 1030 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane. And we look forward to seeing you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.